0: What's up, cyber and crypto fanatics? Hope everybody's doing great this week. Today is Friday, October the 4th of 2019. And this is episode 89 of the Cybersecurity and Cryptocurrency Podcast. I'm your host, Eric English. All the views and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely my opinions and do not reflect that of my employer. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at CyberCryptoGuy. Alright, so we got some big... Big topics to touch on in cybersecurity. Probably heard about these by now, but haven't done a podcast since these have broke. But going to talk about another SIM card attack. Also talk about Zynga, the game company that makes words, words with friends. Also going to talk about an ex-Yahoo engineer that uh, just pled guilty to hacking a bunch of Yahoo accounts. Also going to talk about some ransomware that was developed for study purposes, I'm going to touch on a new hack that allows someone to break the encryption of PDFs, so we'll talk, talk about that a little bit as well. I found some other cool tools to tinker around with out there on kitploit.com, so I'll, I'll touch on those briefly as well. Another big one this week was the iPhone exploit, the unfixable iPhone exploit. So we'll talk about that as well. Also going to talk about a hospital and what happened when they got hit with some ransomware. And last but not least, we'll talk about Zendesk and what happened there. On the cryptocurrency side of things, we're going to talk about Facebook Libra and all the fun drama happening with those guys. Seems to be a never-ending story. Also going to talk about Coinbase and what they're doing with USDC Stablecoin. Some other cryptocurrency news. We're going to talk about the CTO of NiceHash and what happened to him this week. also going to talk a little bit about what some state-backed german banks are saying about bitcoin also going to touch on ethereum's istanbul uh system-wide upgrade that happened so we'll talk about that a little bit as well and what to expect another really cool topic i, I brought this up i think two episodes ago about uh, quantum computing and cryptocurrencies how those could how quantum computing could affect uh cryptocurrencies. so i found a cool article on that as well and finally we're going to talk about of course the bitcoin prices and what some of the analysts are saying, Bitcoin needs to get to in order to continue the upward trend. All right, so we got a lot of things to touch on today. We'll see if we can get through all these in a reasonable amount of time. So we'll start on the cybersecurity side of things. Uh, Zendesk, if you're familiar with them, they do a lot of help desk type of software. They just disclosed a breach uh, of account information for 10,000 users, uh, and this was accessed prior to 2016. Now you think. 10,000 accounts... Not that big of a deal, but uh, these accounts were accessed by an unknown third party, according to Zendesk. And it happened back in 2016. So I guess that's the kind of weird thing. How are they just now figuring this out? And what led them down the road to find this? And, and why didn't they catch it sooner? Uh, I guess on the grand scheme of things, compared to a lot of the other breaches and whatnot and leaks and all that, 10,000 users isn't you know the end of the world in comparison. Nonetheless, it's still yet another breach Of sorts that we all have to to deal with. So the other kind of good news, if you want to call it that, about this uh, quote-unquote breach, uh, Zendesk basically said that the only thing that was accessed was email addresses, usernames, and phone numbers. And it was specific to the support and chat products that Zendesk makes. So as we all know, a lot of these companies will sell your private information, they'll sell your email address, they'll sell your phone number to whoever, right? So it could be that Zendesk sold this information to some third party and they weren't watching it close enough. Or it could have been a million things, right? But nonetheless, they found out about it. They're they're coming clean with it. So that's good. Now on the bad side of this Zendesk breach, they said that a smaller subset of customers, about seven hundred customers, had their TLS encryption keys accessed by this unknown third party. Uh, In addition to those TLS encryption keys, they also accessed configuration settings of apps that are installed from Zendesk Marketplace and private customer apps as well. And so those TLS keys could be some sort of like integration key used by those apps to uh, authenticate uh, against a third-party service of some sort. So they're also saying if you sent them a TLS cert prior to November 1st of 2016 to give them a new one. Experts are also saying that the Zendesk stuff could be could fall into the GDPR-related category, too. So that's going to be nice and crappy for Zendesk to deal with. So if you use Zendesk's products, uh, be on the lookout for a notification from them if you haven't already seen it. All right, some other cybersecurity news here. Three different U.S. hospitals were forced to temporarily close their doors because of, guess what, ransomware. <laughs> Man, that's terrible 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 that they have to turn people away just because of, of ransomware horrible to see that happening you i mean you can imagine if there's some sort of an emergency and they can't treat somebody Oh, man i just can't even can't even fathom how that how that works but nonetheless the three hospitals were d d c h regional medical center in Tuscaloosa fayette medical center and northport medical center all infected with ransomware. So they even had ambulances going to alternate hospitals and they're not taking any new patients and things like that. So, wow, that's just, that's terrible to see that. It makes me wonder what else you can do to help block that kind of stuff. And something I was thinking of that that a lot of people probably don't do, but we I've done it at several different places for all different kinds of, of customers and whatnot, but you can actually set a group policy that blocks everything from being executed out of the app data temp folder. And that app data folder is typically under each user profile. It's a, a hidden folder, and most of the ransomware executes out of that app data temp folder. Not all of it, of course, but and some... You know, known good apps also launch from that. But nonetheless, uh, we have found that blocking access to be able to run from that particular directory has helped quite a bit uh, as far as ransomware goes. Is it 100% perfect? No. But you can set that in your group policy to not allow execution, any program to execute from that app data folder, and that'll help at least a little bit. Uh, basically what we did, we had to whitelist the programs that we knew were good that were going to be running out of that folder. And then everything outside of that whitelist gets blocked. One other thing too, just totally sidebar here that I just now thought of, but uh, I talked to a company yesterday, a company called Deep Instinct. And they're kind of a new antivirus uh, company next-gen whatever you want to call it all the buzzwords right they're they're blocking malware essentially so what's interesting about deep instinct they they don't use machine learning and AI they use what's called neural networks and deep learning and I did a demo of their product and uh, I, I gotta say I was quite impressed uh, the only thing Thing that I'm a little leery of is, you know, it's so I say it's fairly new to the market. Um, I don't know any other players in the market that are doing exactly what these folks were doing. But as part of the demo, we went directly out to VirusTotal and we downloaded viruses that had just been published to VirusTotal: ransomware, uh, malicious scripts, malicious Word documents, malicious anything we could get, uh, command and control malware, all that kind of stuff. We downloaded some that were. Recently published on VirusTotal, and we we attempted to download those, and before we could even finish the download, Deep Instinct had blocked it and deleted that file altogether. So I was I was quite quite impressed. Um, essentially, what they say they do is they train this brain of theirs that they call it this neural network. They train it to know you know, what's good and what's bad, essentially. Uh, and it's sort of like they're comparing it to how a human brain learns. We all know what a dog looks like, right? But we all also know what all the different types of dogs look like, right? There's chihuahuas, there's pinchers, there's dachshunds, there's all kinds of dogs, right? But we we know that even with all of those, it's still a dog, right? So, they're saying that their product can distinguish that kind of stuff, obviously not relating to dogs, but that's the example they gave. It's able to distinguish those things. And whereas machine learning and AI, you have to basically tell it what to look for versus, you know, it just learning on its own. So, with machine learning and AI, you have to tell it, hey, these are the The key points, these are the key facial features of this dog. We need to measure from the ear to the nose to know that it's this kind of dog. I mean, there's a lot of parameters you have to tell it in order to be able to detect that that particular thing was a dog, for example. Whereas this one, with uh, Deep Instinct, they're saying it just learns on its own. They've given it millions and millions of millions of good and bad file samples, uh, malware, good files, bad files, you name it. So pretty, I, I was very, very, very impressed with their demo, uh, especially going right out to Virus Total and, and downloading that stuff direct from them, because they also downloaded it on a non-protected machine, and yeah, it was not pretty, so... Definitely a cool product if you're looking to get some some real next gen antivirus. Deep Instinct. They're a lot different than CrowdStrike, Silence. Uh, I guess in my opinion, they're not even really in competition with those because CrowdStrike and Silence are more of machine learning and AI versus uh, these guys are doing neural networks and deep learning. So quite a bit of difference there. Um, so anyway, it's it's certainly worth checking out if you're in that market looking for for new antivirus, and it does work on Mac. Uh, works on phones as well. So it's pretty, pretty slick stuff, man. Pretty slick stuff. They don't do any kind of, uh, most folks want some sort of, you know, 24-7 monitoring or EDR, or things like that in kind of conjunction with. Their antivirus tool, like uh, that's what CrowdStrike does, right? You pay for the tool and you pay for the monitoring when the tool doesn't work. Well, the guys at Deep uh, Instinct, they they don't have that because they feel like they don't need it. Their false positive rate is 0.001, false positive rate. So I'd say that's pretty damn good, but obviously you want to vet it for yourself, but I, I, and I still haven't even run this in my environments, but. Nonetheless, it looked it looked really cool. Uh, but they're a fairly new company, but uh, definitely one to keep an eye out for. So I, I see these kinds of ransomware breaches, and I think about how do you stop it? And maybe a tool like that would be kind of the end game for ransomware. Who knows, right? They, I'm sure they'll find another way around this one too. But I guess we shall see. All right, some other big news here about the iPhone unfixable exploit. I'm not sure if you guys have seen this yet or not, but some researchers found that there's a way to exploit the iPhones and jailbreak them, and they found that it's unfixable. So this particular exploit affects all iOS devices running A5 to A11 chipsets. So these chips were also in, in iPads as well, so it's iPhones and iPads released between 2011 and 2017. <laughs> so basically if you have an iPhone 4s uh, all the way up to an iPhone 8 you're essentially affected by this particular hack here and it's unfixable they say because it's of course a chipset vulnerability, and they can essentially jailbreak your phone anytime they want. And the jailbreak is essentially permanent. You can't undo it. So why is this such a big deal? Well, think about enterprises that use iPhones everywhere, right? Or iPads, for that matter. You know, if you run any kind of a kiosk that has iPads, well, guess what? (laughs) You can then jailbreak those iPads and potentially install some sort of malicious software on there and you can't fix it. So this is a pretty big issue here. I still haven't heard anything uh, from Apple on their response to this yet. I'm not sure when they're going to respond to this, but I'm certainly waiting to hear it it'll be really interesting to see what they say but apple's always been touted as one of the most secure platforms out there and over the last month or so now we've seen that that's not necessarily true anymore you know with the nation state sponsored uh, hacking or they're implanting a bug on these phones uh, just by visiting a website through the safari browser or now this unfixable jailbreak <laughs> So if you have an older iPhone, now might be the time to upgrade. Uh, I guess the only kind of caveat here is that, you know, in order to exploit this, you have to have physical access to the device. You know, you have to do this uh, jailbreak over USB. So you can't do it remotely, so that's good. But, you know, like I said, if you got a kiosk with these things and, you know, somebody can get physical access to it, there's, there's a potential, right? You know, so anyway certainly a crazy story to to think about there and for all the iPhone and iPad users out there be very cautious of that one. All right, some other cybersecurity news here. Words with friends. If you're familiar with that game that you play on your phone. The company behind it is called Zynga. And guess what? They got hacked. 218 million Words with Friends players uh, all lost their data to hackers. Isn't that great? So Zynga also publishes quite a few other games. Farmville, Mafia Wars, Cafe World, Zynga Poker. Uh, I'm sure there's others out there too that I don't know of, but 218 million account passwords is what they got from Zynga. So all of the information these guys accessed was names, email addresses, login IDs, uh, hashed passwords, which was uh, SHA1 hash with salt, password reset tokens, phone numbers, Facebook ID, and Zynga account ID. So if you're familiar with SHA 1, uh, as far as a hashing algorithm goes, that's very easily reversible with tools like Hashcat, for example, even with SALT. Uh, so, you know, these hackers could very easily reverse those hashes and get the actual plain text passwords there. So, if you use Zynga, now's the time to go out and reset your password there because they got everybody's password and personal information there. All right, some other news here about Yahoo. There's a former employee of Yahoo who recently got arrested, and he admitted to hacking into 6,000 accounts, Yahoo accounts looking for sexual content. So the guy's uh, Reyes Daniel Ruiz, a 34-year-old resident of California, and he was a former Yahoo software engineer. So that's kind of scary, you know, that one person could just go in and snoop through all these different accounts and pull images and things like that. I mean, that's that's pretty scary there. But, you know, this is kind of the insider threat there, if you will. And it happens... I'm sure way more than just this one. I'm sure it's still happening out there, but unfortunately we can't always catch all of it. All right, some other news here about PDFs and their encryption. There's a new hack now that can bypass the encryption and password protection of most PDF readers and online validation services. So some researchers in Germany uh, invented this new hack. And so even if you are protecting your PDFs with a password, this hack can now bypass that. So basically what they did here is is there this tool that they created uh, basically abuses a weakness? in the PDF encryption standard itself to perform what they call a targeted manipulation through the encryption. So they can basically manipulate the encryption to whatever they want and break it. So pretty interesting stuff there. I'll post that in the show notes as well. If you want to take a look at more of the details on that. All right. Some other cool stuff here too. Uh, I found this on kitploit.com. It's called Krypton Die. Krypton D-I-E. It's a ransomware, uh, but it was designed for study purposes. So you can go out there on kit, And get that. And you can kind of do a, if you wanted to, and you trust it, of course, do some sort of a simulated attack. Uh, If you're doing incident response testing at work, this would be a good thing to do a simulation with with software similar to this. So I'll post that in the show notes as well. All right, some other news here about another SIM card attack. This is multiple now we've had over the last few weeks, SIM card-based attacks. They seem to be getting more and more prevalent here. So this is very similar to the SIM jacker vulnerability that came out the other day. And essentially what they do is they send a text message, an SMS-based message, and it allows uh, these bad guys to... Track users' devices by uh, hacking the what they call the apps that are running on the SIM card. So each of the SIM cards apparently has some sort of little apps on them to, I guess, store the information that it needs to. And they found a way to be able to hack those little apps and then track your location, track your device. So anyway, that was kind of interesting. They've got a really big, nice write-up on it if you want to read through all the the details of that. But that's like, what, three now in the last month, I want to say, right? That's crazy. Maybe that's why Verizon's looking at the the, uh, blockchain SIM card related stuff there. Still haven't seen that, of course. In the wild, but interesting to see all these SIM card hacks. All right, found another uh, cool tool I just wanted to inform everybody of out there on KitPloid as well. It's called Hidden Eye, and it's a modern fishing tool with. All kind of advanced functionality, even works on Android apparently. So that's a pretty cool one. Uh, if you'd like to do any kind of phishing testing at your job, uh, this is very, very cool stuff. So check that out as well. I'll post that in the show notes. And for a side topic today, I had a listener ask me, what's the best way to study for a CISSP? And in short, you know, for me, that was the very first cert I ever got in relate in relation to cybersecurity. I just went straight for that one right off the bat. And really the best way that I found personally, and of course it's different for everybody, but I took all the practice tests I could possibly take. You know, If I found one somewhere online, I would take it. If there were older revisions of, of a test, I would take it. And I would take these tests so frequently that I basically started memorizing all of the tests, all of the answers. And in that memorization process, you also learn, you know, what they're asking. You you learn what the real answer is too, uh, which is also good. Um, But I think aside from that, you also learn how they are asking the question. So, you know, course on all these tests they try to trick you and they ask it a very crafty way to make you think oh it's actually this but if you read it very carefully it's probably some other answer so going through all those practice tests really helped me because you know I got some of those books and whatnot on the CISSP and those were you know thousands of pages I'm like oh man there's no way you know by the time you get if you're like me I'm not a huge avid reader so by the time I got to page you know 1,000 or something, I'd forget what I already read. So that's why for me, taking the actual tests over and over and over were kind of the best thing for me. I used a site called actualtests.com. I assume it's still out there. It's been a while since I've taken it, but actualtests.com, they got a lot of practice tests out there. Uh, I think you can get a lifetime uh, membership to them for like 100 and some odd bucks, and you can download practice tests for just about any certification IT related. So that's a that was a very good resource for me. I found a few others, I can't remember what they are off the top of my head, but anytime I could find a practice test, I would take it until the point where I'd memorized it. And I did the, all of that for a little over a year. I just kept taking those practice tests and going through them and going through them, going through them over and over and over. And I got to the point where I was doing, you know, upwards of 8 to 10,000 questions within a day or two, just because I had memorized them so well and I could just kind of burn through them. And I would grade myself, of course, along the way. Yeah, I figured by that point, (laughs) I should be able to answer anything that they throw at me. And luckily I was able to. So that was my study method personally. So obviously it differs for, for everybody else, but that is what worked for me. I can't. I can't promise that'll work for you, but I'm not much of a test taker. Personally, I don't like tests. I typically do really horrible on them. So that's why I, I thought, man, this is my weak spot. I need to go take a bunch of practice tests to make sure that I'm I'm ready for it. Because like with any test, you know, like in school, they always try to trick you with some, some sort of wording that you have to reread several times. And then you start questioning your, yourself. And, you know, it's just it's it's frustrating that they even do that to To people taking these tests, but nonetheless, it happens uh, all throughout grade school and, of course, now in your IT career. So, again, that's why I decided to go the practice test route. And I did learn things along the way too. I learned those correct answers to all those questions. So it's not like I didn't learn the concepts of the CISSP. I certainly did. But I prepared myself specifically for being able to take those tests since I knew I was a very weak test taker in general. So hopefully that helps. If you're a a very good avid book reader, then, you know, reading the book might be better for you. Just really kind of depends on how you learn best. I'm kind of a learn by doing type of person and that's that's basically how I learned the best so you know taking those tests is what helped me but I also too uh, throughout those tests if I found something that I didn't know I would go and test it or look it up or you know do whatever I could to actually go out and understand it so you know it certainly did help uh, for me anyway but I'm definitely a learn by doing kind of person. So anyway, hopefully, hopefully that answers your question. All right. So let's jump over to cryptocurrency side of things. And the one of the biggest topics I wanted to talk about was quantum computing and how that's going to affect cryptocurrency. And of course, you know, when I was thinking about it, I didn't have any of the answers, but of course there's been a lot of studies now about this. So it's, especially since Google has their new quantum supremacy that they've got. So basically what they're, basically what this article is saying is that most blockchain and, and and Bitcoin itself also uses SHA two fifty six and ECDSA? So a lot of what the folks are saying here is we'll just have to up it to SHA five twelve or you know whatever the next one is SHA ten twenty four whatever whatever it happens to be. We'll just have to enhance that underlying encryption to make it a little less easier to crack. So there are you know, people already out there trying to develop these quantum proof blockchains. So we are trying to get ahead of it there. So that's really good to see. But nonetheless, they were saying that uh, even with Google's quantum computing, uh, it's nowhere near being able to break cryptography. So, of course, that's what one of the Bitcoin developers said. So take it with a grain of salt there. But nonetheless, they're saying we just need to bump up the encryption levels. So probably see some new encryption standards out there and, and maybe adding some some additional, maybe double encryption to blockchains. So we'll see there, but currently it's SHA-256 and ecdsa or encryption on most blockchains at least anyway i'll post that in the show notes it's pretty cool to read through all those notes there all right some other crypto news ethereum of course we all know that they're going to ethereum 2.0 hopefully in january is what they're saying but their most recent istanbul hard fork came out two days before it was supposed to whoopsies it was supposed to come out on october the 2nd and unfortunately it came out on september the 30th at about in the morning. And so because this hard fork happened early a lot of the people that were mining for ethereum hadn't updated their miners yet and so they were still mining on the old chain there so luckily most of them i think by now have moved over to the new mining software and and they're mining on the right chain now but whoopsie's a little too early on their on their hard fork there but again these these upgrades they're doing to the ethereum network are ultimately to prep for ethereum 2.0 when it goes to proof of stake so that's essentially what this istanbul upgrade was doing is just prepping it more and more and more for Ethereum 2.0. So that's all these are doing. All right, some other news here about our good old friends at Facebook and their Libra cryptocurrency. So we're finding out here recently that a lot of the big players that were on board with Libra are starting to back out. Players like Visa and MasterCard, they're starting to pull out of this and they're basically saying that, you know, I'm not sure what our reputation is going to be like. Regulators, if we continue to back Libra, when regulators already hate Libra and they don't want to be kind of stuck under that and, and be seen as promoting something like that. And I reported, I guess it was a couple weeks now about Visa and I think MasterCard as well creating their own blockchain based payment systems. So it could be that you know maybe they want to do it themselves and or they don't want to look bad to the regulators by teaming up with Facebook. So interesting stuff there. I'll be curious to see if any others back out of that. But there's a lot of drama around this particular um, backing out of Visa and MasterCard. There's some Twitter posts by the blockchain leads on the Libra project and you know, basically calling them out saying, hey, we need committed members for this you know, to succeed and blah, blah, blah. So interesting stuff there. I'll post that in the show notes for you to check out as well. Some other crypto news here. State banked or state backed. German banks are saying that Bitcoin will leap to $90,000 in 2020. I love these articles because it's just so outlandish. And I mean, who the hell knows if this is really going to happen? But these folks are saying that it's going to hit $90,000 by 2020. Man, wouldn't that be nice, huh? Right now, we're we're not looking so hot. We're trading around 8100 So for us to get to 90000 by 2020, I mean, 2020 is right around the corner here. So we're going to have to see a massive ramp uh, to get there by 2020. I thought that was interesting, though, that they make these bold claims. And I guess they're hoping that it actually happens so they can say, I told you so, but I don't know. I guess I'll be cautiously optimistic. How about that? All right, some other news here about the NiceHash, or CTO of NiceHash. If you're not familiar with what NiceHash is, they are a company that allows you to rent hashing power. And hashing is what is used to create various cryptocurrencies, right? So when you use your graphics cards, you are basically hashing to get the next block in the blockchain. So NiceHash allows miners to sell their hashing power back to NiceHash. uh, Or if you don't want to have the mining equipment, you just want to borrow somebody else's, you can use services like NiceHash to borrow someone else's hashing power. So you can go and mine for whatever or other cryptocurrency you want. So anyway, the CTO, the former CTO, uh, apparently he was also a co-founder of NiceHash, was arrested in Germany. And they're saying that uh, the United States is basically charging him, saying that he is part of a hacking organization responsible for the theft of millions of dollars. So he's he's wanted in the U.S. for founding and running the cybercrime forum called Dark Code, And he ran that forum from 2008 to 2013. And they're saying that because of that forum, they deployed one of the biggest botnets ever called Miraposa. And they're also saying that that forum was probably one of the most sophisticated English speaking forums for criminal computer hackers in the entire world. <laughs> so that was pretty... Pretty wild there. But apparently he already did five years in prison, in Slovenian prison, for uh, Miraposa, which is that botnet they just talked about. So it'll be interesting to see if the United States can charge him with that part of it. I'm sure they could still charge him with the, the running of the forum itself. But I thought that was kind of interesting. Man, just goes to show you never really know in cryptocurrency who you're dealing with and what they're doing on the side. All right, some other really cool news here about Coinbase. And USDC, the stable coin. Apparently, now if you have USDC in your Coinbase account, Coinbase is going to start paying you an APR of 1.25%. Well, that's kind of cool, right? So, just holding on to this USDC coin, you'll automatically begin accruing rewards. And there's no additional costs, no fees related to this. You just start accruing rewards just for holding on to it there. So, if you have a Coinbase account, and you'd like to get a little bit of return on your investment, you can get some USDC and just sit on it. So That's pretty cool, right? All right, some other news here about crypto. The Central Bank, excuse me, the Federal Reserve Bank of Philadelphia is claiming that digital currencies are essentially inevitable, and they're calling for the United States to go ahead and create their own, which I don't disagree with. Um, I don't think that they want Bitcoin to be the big daddy, but thought that was kind of interesting to hear more and more people just saying, hey, it's inevitable man let's go let's let's jump on the train let's let's get ahead of it right so we'll see we'll see if that actually happens there but certainly cool to see people even at the federal reserve saying that it's it's pretty much inevitable and really if you think about it too at this point we're already using nothing but electronic transactions anyway we typically pay with a piece of plastic in our wallet we're not using Actual physical money anymore. It's very rare when we do. So anyway, just uh, they're they're just saying, hey, it's inevitable here. Let's let's jump out in front of it. Let's create one for the United States. All right. The last thing in cryptocurrency, I uh, just want to touch on some of the prices. As I said earlier, their Bitcoin's floating around eighty one hundred, and a lot of the Bitcoin financial. Uh, analysis experts that sit there and look at the charts all day long are saying that we need to get above 8500 to continue upward. Now they're saying if uh, if we don't, then Bitcoin could drop all the way down to 6000 and in a worst-case scenario even down to $3000. Holy crap, man! That's just really scary. So hopefully we stay up above 8,500. But if we don't, we could see another really big dip here in the next couple of weeks. There. So anyway, these you know these guys can't predict the future there, but uh, certainly interesting to see that that kind of news come out of these experts there that study these charts day in and day out. There. So I'll post this in the show notes as well, so you can check that out too, and then form your own opinion. <laughs> don't take my trading advice, of course. All right, folks, that's all I got for today. If you want to follow me on twitter i am at cyber crypto guy at cyber crypto guy on twitter check me out on there i retweet a bunch of the articles that we talk about here on the show thanks for listening and have a great weekend